All right, and welcome back to another episode of Shockwave Solutions, where we present real-world actionable insights to direct response marketers. Today, we have the pleasure of Josh Rosenberg joining us. Yay, Josh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Josh is the highest paid copywriter in the world. Is yep. that right? Yes, sir. <laughs> so Josh, uh, thanks for jumping in. Thanks for being willing to, to share a little bit with us and our audience today about, uh, as we kind of dive into copywriting, some of the the knowledge bombs that you have available to us um, and just kind of talking through through uh, your experience and your insights into copy and into building uh, top tier clients. Um, I'd love if we could start to just get a little background as far as how you've actually found direct response and copywriting. You know, did you go to college for it? Did you, were you dream, dreaming about it in high school? Um, you know, how'd you find the space? Uh, yeah, so I came out of my mother's womb with a copy of Breakthrough <laughs> Advertising. Um, awesome. No, no, I got into the space back in 2008. I uh, was working in the corporate world back then and I hated it. It was yeah. sucking the life out of me. It got to the point where my uh, nightstand, I had a little bottle of Jack Daniels. And when my alarm would go off in the morning, I would take a swig before my feet even hit the floor. And I said, you know what, this is, it, it's really unhealthy. And I just left. Mm. Um, oh, I, I kind of made sure to get fired so that I could collect unemployment for a little while while I figured out my next move. Um, but you know, as people often dream, I got to go out in a blaze of glory by, uh, Oh, I don't, I mean, there's no statute of limitation anymore, but destroyed the CEO's office of a very large publicly traded company. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Sometimes goes by, I end up being in the right place at the right time to meet somebody that um, I was, who was going to be my first business partner uh, mm -hmm. in the, uh, the dating sex niche um, back in the early days of ClickBank and yeah. uh, when it was still kind of the wild west back then. And that was going well. Um, that's where Emma and I got to know each other years and years ago. And um, at one point I created a sales letter that basically broke every record in that space. It set all these ClickBank records. It still talked about by some people uh, today, it's known as like the Dr. Feelgood letter. And uh, yeah. I kind of really put my name on the map. Um, so I started to get people requesting to hire me to write sales letters for them. And uh, at that time, the dating sex business, even though, uh, this sales letter had done really well fast forward a few months. And now all the laws about advertising had changed and I was really stuck between a rock and a hard place with that business. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, yeah, let's, let's start shifting my career to uh, copywriting. Um, and now, um, yeah, I just never looked back. I loved it. And, um, I, uh, was able to do really well. I've, um, was able to figure out systems and stuff that I could put into place to allow me to land really large clients very easily um, without really having to go through the same hurdles and the same leaps, um, go from writing a sales letter for five or $10,000 to, uh, I mean, last year alone, I signed a contract for 150,000 guaranteed cash with one client. I did four days worth of work with another client that paid me 300,000. And then towards uh, the second half of last year, I was able to sign a, a contract with a software company uh, for guaranteed $1.46 million. So I was able to really grow um, to a much higher income level um, relatively quickly. So now all the steps that I've used 
for the last few years that I still use today. That's uh, I work with a lot of um, copywriters to help them grow their business because yeah. finding higher paying clients is one of the toughest things. Yeah. I, I want to kind of circle back around, um, you know, through your, your journey a little bit, because you're talking about your business partner and kind of coming into maybe the dating seduction space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what, cause that's where you started before you came into copywriting, right? Like you started there, you became familiar with direct response. Yeah. Um, you know, how'd you, why'd you decide to partner with, with your partner at the time? What were, what, how'd you guys divide up the, the task about, you know, was it marketing operations? Like how, who did what, you know, kind of more logistics of what that looked like. Honestly, I mean, it was a lot of the blind leading the blind in the beginning. Mm. Um, she was a licensed sex educator, an adult film star, and she uh, hosted Playboy Radio. She was editor of Penthouse Forms and basically worked providing um, sex advice for adults, couples that have been together a long time. You know, okay. the whole point of it was the intimacy and the relationship had died out. Right. Here's how to kind of rekindle that passion. And um, she was saying that she was really only able to charge 10, 15, $20 for sessions with her because that's kind of what the market dictated. Mm. And so I said, well, what if we were to put it online and we rebrand it, we make it this much more um, pristine sort of thing. This uh, had a, a different stream. We take a, a different approach to it. Nice. And she said, all right, well, we'll give it a shot. And it very quickly, like, um, I sold the very first thing I did was, um, we set up a, a live workshop and she was expecting 10, $20 tickets. And I started to price them at a thousand dollars. Yeah. Just to see what would happen. Um, I was able to reserve a venue. It's really nice um, uh, loungy kind of environment. So it kind of had like a sexy sort of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I essentially cloned the website of a marketing agency and just changed the names around. I bought a burner phone and I started to, call all of these journalists say that I was a partner at this um, uh, PR agency that this sex education company was my um, client and that they were doing the first live workshop in the you know in, for, in the country um, that it was taught by adult film stars but it was couples friendly it's very female friendly um, and so we were able to get you know the New York Times and the Post and Wired magazine uh, wow. and it's like Howard Stern, it was at the time it was Opie and Anthony, Cosmo magazine, MTV, well, you got over a hundred mainstream press um, publications wanting to come and ask for tickets. So we only were able to sell about five or six actual tickets because every other seat was taken by members of the press. Um, I was honestly, I was surprised that absolutely nobody checked my press credentials and made sure I was a real <laughs> PR agency because the, the whole thing was a total lie. But you know, sometimes you got to hustle. Okay. I love that by the way. Cause that's the thing, right? Like when you're starting a business, you've got to hustle, you've got to figure out on the way and you're either going to make good calls or bad calls, but you live or die by the, by the choices you make along the way. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And you know, there's sometimes when you see an opportunity, even if ethically, maybe you don't, you know, it's a, it's in a weird gray zone. If so long as it's not hurting anybody, you're not taking advantage. You're not being dishonest, you know, too dishonest. Like, Sometimes you just have to go for it. Oh, I so love good. the two dishonest. Like <laughs> there's a special place. I mean, I, at I mean, some level, there's to... salesmanship, right? Like you're always doing presenting what you want. 
on some level. Listen, going into uh, CVS to get a burner cell phone and then having to come up with a, a name that anytime that phone ring, let's say you got Leonard. You know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So that's where you started. And so then I'm assuming you got actually quite a bit of, of traction, a lot of attention. Did you have like an yeah. offer already built so that when you got the attention and when you got the media that there was something to drive to, or was it just more events or more? So um, I had uh, some friends that work in uh, film production, TV and such. And um, I, I begged them to come and shoot. And I said, listen, guys, I will pay you as soon as I can, but we need to have this shot and edit an online ASAP because the event's going to be one day, but the press, who knows how long that's going to keep up. Right. And so, um, you know, it took a couple of weeks for the whole thing to get finished. And I was getting at one point about 4 million clicks a week for people, you know, wanting to sign up for the early bird list. I had never even heard of like AWeber at this point. I didn't know how to capture email addresses. And so, I mean, there was a lot of mistakes I made. Because people were coming, all they saw is that the site is under construction. Because mm. I, I had no idea what any of this stuff was, um, you know. And to this point, I still, I never, I didn't even know what a sales page was. I didn't know what copywriting was. Um, so a lot of my initial business, once I actually had the product online, uh, was affiliates. And right. you know, there's in a lot of different industries, there are going to be different masterminds that people right. in that industry are a part of, and there's one for the dating relationship, you know, sex niche. And so that's where um, I was able to, to get a lot of my affiliates from the early days. So interesting. So then, and, and that is that kind of when you jumped into the ClickBook, uh, ClickBank model with yeah. like offers in there. Okay. So that was a path into, into that with Dr. Feelgood. Yep. Cool. Okay. And then, um, and then you, you mentioned like things started shifting or changing. Um, and then that transitioned you from that business to more focus on copywriting? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I used to be able to advertise all over Google and Facebook and oh, YouTube. Yeah. And then I was only basically allowed to advertise on, a, um, adult sites on porno sites and the quality of traffic is horrible. The people that run a lot of those networks, yeah. their numbers aren't usually that honest. Um, you know, I was working, three times as much to make a fraction of the money. And mm -hmm. um, uh, I was just kind of burnt out from it at that time. And I wanted to change and this opportunity presented itself. And so I uh, was able to find a buyer. I sold that business and um, that kind of gave me the boost that I needed to pursue copywriting full time. Interesting. And then were you doing a lot of copywriting in the, the parts that you're doing for the affiliate marketing on, on the offers for ClickBank? Is that where really you, you spent most of your time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I read every book. I took every course. I um, went to a bunch of seminars. Like I really threw myself into it full time. So when I wasn't writing for somebody else's offer, I was studying as much as I possibly could. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so when you made that transition, then um, were, did you stay in the niches that you knew best? Is that where you kind of focused and, and stayed in the dating advice, seduction, uh, adult type of space, or did you branch out immediately or just how did you make that transition? Um, so I, th those are the spaces where I had the most contacts mm -hmm. and it wasn't, you know, a lot of people, we could talk about this in a more detail in a moment, but a lot of people call themselves a specialist because they stay in one to two niches yeah, uh, as opposed to a generalist. And that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. 
I don't know how that got started, but a lot of people, a lot of coaches out there will tell you to call yourself a specialist because you stick to one, two places. No, all you're doing is limiting the available clients that, that you, you'll be able to work with. And just because you say you're a specialist in the paleo or the keto space or the weight loss, that doesn't mean they're going to offer you any more money than they would anybody else. All it means is that you've limited your opportunities. Mm. Um, and so as, as I start to get more recognition and more name value and people started to um, know who I was more, I was getting more introductions that way. I was getting more referrals. I was able to branch out and, you know, I've done my, uh, I've written well over a hundred million dollars worth of revenue in about 60 different industries at this point. Wow. Um, so, so is that one of the things that you would, you would say is like, don't, don't niche in. Cause that's one of the common, uh, ideas that people share is like dive into a niche and like go full speed into it, like all the way into that niche. Yeah. Right? I'm like, listen, niche I, down or whatever. When you're just getting started, you got to start somewhere and that's fine. If you want to do a few sales letters or webinars or whatnot in that niche, get your feet wet a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you want to write your own offers and you want to run the business, then sure. Stick with whatever it is that business is. But if you want to be a freelance writer and actually have a real career, um, you're going to have to be able to branch out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's in the book, rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki talks about how, if you want to make money, you have to go where the money is. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, a lot of times that means you're having to step outside of your comfort zone, sign right. corporate clients, go after brick and mortar businesses, larger SaaS companies, you know, ClickBank is great and all, but it's very limiting if you yes. want to be able to grow. Right, 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 right. Um, so then we're, did, do you remember your first client that you took on as a copywriter when you, when you sold that, your first business? It was for uh, music education, teaching um, uh, children how to play guitar. And it was okay. a lot of fun. Uh, I did a few projects with that, with that business. Um, my favorite one, which is still selling well to this day. I, I don't know how a sales video is still converting six years later. It's uh, rockguitarmastery.com. And that's for um, teenagers and adults and such. And uh, it, you know, that, that ended up being a lot of fun because the, uh, the teacher and that the owner, he's a legit rock star. He's toured yeah. all over the world, played in front of millions of people. Uh, he's toured with Alice Cooper, ACDC, Twisted Sister, like just um, uh, Dave Navarro, just a huge list of some of the biggest names in music. And so getting to work on that project, man, I got to hang out with a lot of rock stars, which <laughs> was a ton of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And was that a little bit intimidating kind of jumping from the space that you knew into the music and, and how to sell for that space? Yeah. I mean, the approach to it was certainly going to be different and any of the, the copy tricks and hacks, if you want to call them that, that I'd learned and all the techniques, it, it, the language had to be different. Yeah. You know, it was a little bit tricky, but it was never anything where I, I thought, oh man, what did I get into? I can't do this. I was mm -hmm. confident I could. I just kind of had to reevaluate my approach. Yeah. Do you remember what the most difficult thing was when you kind of look back like, oh man, something that was the most challenging or the most rewarding that you kind of figured out that you felt proud about? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if I was going to say one thing is um, I would, if I could go back in time, I would have told myself to only work with um, clients who don't yet have a finished product. Mm. Uh, if they do, then you're really limited. 
you're pigeonholing yourself. And it's not that you can't sell it. Obviously, if you, you know how to write well, you can sell pretty much anything. But um, once the product is already complete, you're really confined by what is offered in that product. And if I'm sitting there as a marketer and I do my research and I find out that the industry, the market wants these four specific elements. These are the biggest pain points for that, that uh, audience. I'm going to create the sales letter around exactly that mm -hmm. because I want to deliver exactly what they are begging they to buy. Yeah. And a lot of times product owners don't do this. They don't do well. Yeah. They go on their gut instinct and they're saying, well, in my experience, people really want these things, or I think the audience wants this or that. And the offer does not do as well as it could. And if yeah. we're looking at, you know, talk about a scale of one to 10 with one being a total flop and 10 being a grand slam, it's really hard to get above a six or seven if there's already a product completed and it is not exactly what the audience wants. Right. So right. at least if, if the product is not done yet, um, I have the full freedom to really find out what the market is begging for and create that. And then and I know I can get to the eight, nine, 10 level. Right. Cause there's this huge opportunity then for collaboration, right? So that it's like better than what they had on their own and better than what you have on your own. It's like this opportunity just kind of opens up so that you can really create something unique. Like what you're saying, like exactly, exactly what that market wants. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it forces them to kind of have to step up their game too, in terms of content yeah. creation. You know, yeah. if I'm uh, working on, let's say, um, helping athletes, let's say CrossFitters, and I'm talking about how this one exercise can add six inches to your vertical leap and the product is already done. And the uh, person saying this exercise can add two inches to your vertical leap. Okay. Well now that bullet point sounds a lot weaker. Or if they said, well, it's not really one exercise that does it. It's a combination of three and it takes a bit of time to build up the muscle memory and stuff. Okay. I didn't ask that question. Let's just teach them how to jump that, that six inches. Right. Right. You know, so it forces the product to be better. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard too, because there's, you know, I've been in the direct response space for almost 20 years now. And, and I, I remember doing a lot of infomercial stuff way back in the day. And you'd have like people that they were inventors and they had their idea and they had kind of like this baby, but they didn't, you know, they, they, they weren't, they weren't there to realize like they are not necessarily their target audience. Right. Cause you have to, dis, you have to divorce yourself a little bit from that idea of like, what people, here's what my product is and what it solves. And I may not be like my own typical average buyer. Or oh, my yeah. Buyer. And you see this a lot um, with direct response. And I know you've seen this with inventors where somebody will have an idea and their friends and family might, you know, don't want to hurt <laughs> their feelings, but they're not excited. Yeah. So they spend $5,000 to create a prototype and nobody is interested. Right. And so rather than give up and admit, okay, it was a $5,000 lesson, they're going to double down and triple down Probably. and they're going to, they just need to get in more people's hands and they know it'll sell. And the next thing you know, they've remortgaged their home and they're $300,000 in debt because of a hunch mm -hmm. that happens yeah. in direct response all the time. All the time. And that makes my job as the copywriter that much more difficult when I have to go to them and say, there is, it is very difficult to salvage this. Yeah. There is not much in here that's appealing. You're very off base and I don't want to be deceptive and lie and tell a reader that we're covering all of this stuff when that's really only 5% of what you're actually offering in the product. Yeah. 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 So 
let's let's kind of pivot a little bit if you don't mind because I'd, I'd like I think this kind of naturally comes into the to this uh, perspective which is as you're talking to clients right like I'm assuming you especially at this point in your career you know what it is that you really want to do and what you absolutely do not want to do mm-hmm. yep um, uh, how did you do you remember the first time that you came to a place where you're like nope I'm not going to take that you know because it's a little bit different it's like when you're first starting out you want you want the opportunity to do stuff. You want to be hungry. You want to kind of expand out. If there's an opening or an opportunity, I want to take it. And then you yeah, kind of probably get to yeah, a point in your career where you're like, eh. Um, so whenever I, uh, I'm getting on a phone call with a prospective client, I'm going to um, ask them if they mind if I record the conversation. And I'll usually say, you know, if we decide to work together going forward, I don't want to waste your time by asking you a question that you may have already answered on this call. So for that reason, are you okay mm. if I record the conversation? That's good. Gonna always say yes. And then immediately um, I'm going to, as soon as I hit record, I'm going to tell them that in order to, for me to assess everything and be able to uh, really come up with a, a great strategy that'll make them successful, I need full honesty and transparency. Mm-hmm. And anyone that has a little bit of pushback there, I could hear a little bit of a break in their voice. That's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember on a couple of occasions, I'm asking the business owner about their product or service and the way they're describing it doesn't actually tell me anything. And it took me a little bit of time, but I realized, oh, this person is wants me to write, uh, some marketing materials for their stupid pyramid scheme. I'm sorry, MLM. (laughs) And I'm, I I am absolutely not going to do that. So, you know, there's, there was a guy that was in sports betting and he's telling me that he basically, he has um, several different radio shows that he does and he does them under two different names and he, and they only air in different cities. So it's unlikely that anybody will hear both of them. And he's going, let's say, Milwaukee is place is going to be playing against Boston this weekend. He's going to go into one show and say, Boston is a lock to win. He's going to go into the other show and say, Milwaukee is, is a lock to win. And then he sells his very expensive sports betting information where he's giving you the result of one game for free on the radio show. But if you want the result to 40 games that week, you've got to pay $10,000 or something. I said, this is a total scam. Like there, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely don't want to be a part of this, but of course that's not how he's describing it. He's right. being very careful about the words that he uses, the descriptions and all that. And so when I get on a call now, if I, you know, right at this point, I'm usually working with um, much more safe bet clients, you mm-hmm. know? So, but it, it still comes up where I know that if I get on the phone and the way that somebody is describing what it is they do is not crystal clear and it sounds shady at all. I just, I'll just end the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, listen, um, uh, I got to tell you, I, my schedule is really packed right now. I don't know if I have an opening to take on a project for at least the next six months or so. Um, is this something that's immediate or are you willing to wait? And most people will say they it's immediate. Nobody mm-hmm. says, okay, let's circle back in a half a year. I love that you are not burning that bridge and going around about, I'm very much the opposite and we're a lot alike. So that's odd to me, but I'm very much like, yeah, I don't want to, this sucks. <laughs> you're, you're scamming. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> realistically, I know I don't have to interact with that person anymore going forward. But the minute you start bad mouthing people, whether it be just one on one to them, or even worse, if you're on Facebook or something yeah. and you start talking about this lousy client, well, it makes you sound terrible. And if anybody else here has had a good experience with them, then you come off seeming like the bad guy. Yeah. Um, I don't want to ruin a potential thing where, you know, or maybe there's a client that's in that Facebook group who would love to work with me, but now they see me slamming this other person left, right, and center. And they decide, you know what? I'm not going to work with Josh because I don't want my name dragged through the mud if he doesn't like me. Yeah, I wasn't talking about publicly. That would be disaster. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely. Really was not talking about publicly. Yeah, um, that's a disaster. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I, listen, I don't need to tell somebody to their face that they're a scammer. I just, I'll know not to do business with them. And then I've got, you know, cl- very close knit group of friends and in different masterminds and just people I've worked with for over a decade now that we'll chat on Skype or whatever. And we'll, we just um, talk about anything, not even always work related. And I'll just say, oh, hey, definitely keep an eye out for this person. I think they're, you know, really dishonest, unethical. They're running some kind of a real scam thing. You're, you're probably going to want to stay away from them. So, yeah. Well, and here's the thing, right? Like this is not a, really when you look at the industry itself of direct response marketing, it's not a giant nameless, faceless industry. It's a pretty connected industry. It's pretty networked. Um, and- oh, absolutely. And at a certain point, like with just about any industry, the cream always rises to the top. Right. The people that are good at what they do will stand out and everyone will get to know each other. Yep. Go to yep. obviously not, you know, uh, in 2020, but when you go to one of these industry events that has, <laughs> you know, a few thousand people flying in there, you're going to be surprised at how many people you know mm-hmm. and how many people know you. And you're going to get approached by somebody you've never met before, but they have followed you. Right. Um, you know, so. It, it, it really is a very small world at, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Well, and here's the other thing that I love about it is like, is like you want to see good people succeed, right? Yeah. And so when you, when you, even if you're not the right fit for somebody, they appreciate the candidness, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, I like your product or, you know, I just don't think it's the right fit. I've had a lot of times where I worked with somebody from a payments perspective. It's like, I, I see what you're doing. I just don't have anything that I think would really add value to what you're doing. And they respect yeah. that. You know, people yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So it's it's definitely always worth uh, being candid. To Emma's point, I think she's very direct <laughs> how she's candid about stuff. So, um, uh, you know, and some people are a little bit more diplomatic in that approach too, and and that's fine either way, I guess. Oh, but, I've uh, called people out to their face before plenty of times, and it I, feels I've seen good. them on Facebook. I've seen them on Facebook <laughs> plenty of times, but that's that's okay. It's good that you do it, but it is good that you have the presence of mind when you're yes. on the call to just you know, hey, this you know this I don't have time for it. Rather than you're a scammer. Um, yeah. Well, and I love that that's your filter too, right? Because honesty and transparency is like if you're not going to be honest and transparent in our initial conversation and right. talk about it in a candid way then that's how you're going to, that's how you deal with people essentially without saying that, like, that's your filter. Like if this is how they're going right. to deal with me, that's how they're going to deal with anybody that they're getting to know um, or how they just operate. I lay life. that out. I, I make sure usually, you know, you're going to have a few minutes to just back and forth banter, talk sure. about the weather or whatever's going on. 
And then it's, let's get down to business. And that's why I immediately ask if they mind if I record and mm-hmm. then immediately um, tell them I need transparency and honesty because I want that on, I, I want that on record. Mm. And I want to be able to have proof later on down the line, if something were to go wrong or if something were to slip past my filter, I have proof that they uh, were full of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. That's a really, it's a good and interesting business practice. I think it's, it's smart. Yeah. No um, matter what type of consulting you're doing. Right. Cause mm-hmm. that even works for us. Yeah. yeah. And then listen, the, the, yes, it is also protection, but uh, a lot of times you'll be on the phone with a client and they're going over their business and their demographic and all of this info and all these numbers and data and stuff. And I don't want to have to then come back to them three days later and ask them to repeat themselves. Right. So at least right. if I have the recording, I don't have to waste their time. And they really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Do you have your recordings transcribed or do you just kind of make notes throughout and if you need to go back like how do you manage that because i we hire copywriters for our clients all the time and i probably over the course of um a funnel build or or writing copies for a funnel we'll talk to the copywriter for six to seven hours depending on the product right Mm -hmm. sometimes it's more like three when it's a simple thing sometimes it's you know more like 10 to 11. So how do you manage those recordings? Do you just kind of leave them in limbo and mark it with the person's name and hope you never need it? Like, how do you manage that? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I'll mark it with their, their name and date. And then I'm sitting there with a pen and paper and I marked out the name and date and I'm taking my notes there. And this way I can kind of cross-reference it. And it's really not a big deal. Okay. I just, I've always wondered that because Travis is very much for the, hey, when we're talking to clients, when we're talking to vendors, let's record all these calls. Well, how do you manage that we're on five hour call you know five hours of calls daily right and then my assistant is on calls another three to four hours a day how do you how do you manage that it's one of the things that we've been looking at internally and trying to figure out as well so i just wondered if you had a system but thank you yeah no nothing really formal um like i said just name and date and then i throw it into a folder and that's usually all i need it's never really been more of a problem than that yeah yeah gotcha um i'd love to move on now to um, I love uh, having watched you over the past few years since you uh, sold your initial, I don't know if it was your initial business, but selling your, your last dating business mm-hmm. to now uh, being the highest paid copywriter uh, in the world that we know of, yeah. um, which is fantastic. What I would love to hear about is what value add, like what thing mm. do you do? What part of what you provide a client? It's not just copy, right? Like there's something there that allows you to charge that amount. Like I'd love to hear what uh, is specific to you that you believe got you there. Sure. So right off the bat, I don't tell it. Pe- In fact, I deny that I'm a copywriter. I don't tell people that as my job title ever. The reason being is that if you look at the biggest advertising agencies in the world, the Saatchi and Saatchi, the WPP, Young and Rubicam, the Sudler and Hennessy, Landor, so it's like uh, all the guys that are managing the, the advertising for Toyota and Apple and Disney and all the biggest brands on the planet, their copywriters are low salary commodity workers. They're making fifty-five, $60,000 a year. Their work consists of writing a headline, maybe a sentence and a bullet, which is why they're justified at paying them so little. So if I were to tell a client that I'm a copywriter, 
I'm pairing myself in with a commodity employee. Mm. What we do writing these webinars and sales letters and stuff is a much bigger art and science. And I don't want to be grouped in. I don't know who this business owner is. I don't know their experience, their backgrounds, what they know and don't know. I don't want to risk miscommunication. So what I do instead is I tell them that I am a persuasion engineer. I blueprint and construct robust and dynamic profit centers. Copywriting is just one of the tools that I use to do this. And right away, that puts me in a completely different level that changes the conversation entirely. Um, So now I'm coming in uh, as a highly trained specialist. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where people say they specialize in one niche or two niches, and that's it. No, like I said, you're only limiting your available work and not guaranteeing another dollar in your Mm -hmm. pocket. What a real specialist is, somebody that is a that's brought in to handle a job in a way that nobody else can you know there's a million mechanics out there that can all of them can handle fixing a honda civic but only a handful could fix a 52 chevy right you need a specialist for that so that's why rebranding myself as a persuasion engineer allowed me to do that uh the other thing and there there's a number of other steps down the line um number one is i don't have a portfolio Every copywriter in the world has a portfolio that has complete sales letters, links to complete via sales, and clients look at them all identically. So if you're calling yourself a copywriter and already devaluing yourself, and you have a a portfolio that's exactly the same as the next guy's, what's going to happen is the same thing that happens when you go out to a restaurant and you want to get a bottle of wine. You're not buying the most expensive bottle because it's overpriced and you don't know if you're going to really taste a difference. And you're not buying the, the least expensive because it's clearly garbage wine. You're yeah. buying the second cheapest wine. So when everybody is able to speak eloquently and has, you know, a good head on their shoulder and has an identical portfolio and has identical title and all of that, the client is going to hire the second cheapest copywriter. So unless you're happy lowering your prices to be that number two from the bottom, it's going to be really difficult to close clients consistently. So I don't compete. I, with that, I don't use a portfolio. What I have is I call it uh, client success dossier. And I've basically taken certain elements that I know are the most important and it will be uh, each client will have usually about one page and I'm going down who they are, their industry, where they were before hiring me, what problems were they having that were holding them back, how I was able to come in and reposition their business or reposition their service or product, uh, and what the end results were. I want to give uh, numbers, you know, so I might show in just a few sentences how I was able to take um, an upsell page that was converting at 4%, and reposition it to now convert at 47%. Mm-hmm. And here's what that means as an average order value and a lifetime value. And of course, there'll be a link to that sales page or that upsell page, sure. But all the client really cares about is the results. results. Yeah. So uh, those elements alone allow me to really stand out and stand above the competition. Um, next thing that I'm going to be, well, there's a few other steps in the middle, but I don't know if we have the time to really talk about it, but uh, when it comes time to demanding the highest price point, most people in our world only know 
of really like two kinds of deal structures, guaranteed cash and maybe a little less guaranteed cash with some kind of royalties attached. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like seven or eight different deal structures. And if you don't know them and you don't know what to look for and you don't know how to present them, you're really leaving a ton of money on the table because there be certain elements to um, that the client has that you say, wait a second, they might not have hard cash to give me right now. And they may not want to give me a royalty, but here's how I can do it in a way that really fits within their budget, but will end up at the end of the day, making me 25, 30 times more money. Mm-hmm. And when I um, uh, had a deal that I spent four days on, I made 300,000. I was talking with a guy that owns uh, a bodybuilding weightlifting gym. And he has, he would do a couple times a year, these um, in-house events where you get about uh, 30, 40 people in the door uh, and they would spend the day going over new lifts and whatever it is, you know, his crew of celebrity um, power lifters, you know, these are guys have set multiple world records. They're like really famous in that world. And I said, okay, well, your physical gym can have the capacity for about 30 to 40 people. You're charging a hundred dollar tickets. And I'm asking him now about his social media following. And he said that one of his one business partner had a 10 million person following my jaw dropped. How active are they? He said, Oh, they're really active. He has advertisers coming to him wanting to promote their protein powders or their resistance bands or whatever it is. And so I said, I, I came back to him and I said, essentially that I had an idea where I could get, um, I think I could get probably 10,000 people or so signed up for the uh, workshop and we just do it virtually. I told him, I, you don't pay me anything, nothing. I, in fact, I will go out and I will hire a film crew that specializes in live streaming events. I will write the landing page for the event. I will create all of the elements we need mm-hmm. and, and I will pay for all the expenses. I need on your end for you guys to promote this event hard. I need you uh, to, I will even write out the tweets if you want me to, I don't care, but I need it to go out to this mass audience. And if it's successful, I want 30% of the money that I'm able to generate from doing this. And he said, wait, you're going to do all of the work and pay for everything. And we only have to give you a percentage if you're successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I'd be stupid not to. Well, a few days, I mean, it was four sleepless <laughs> nights, but I was able to hit that 10,000 person sign up at a hundred dollars a piece. That's a million dollars. So he d- had no problem wiring $300,000 into my bank account. And I was able to make that happen because I understood that asking him for $10,000 for a sales letter was nowhere near as lucrative as it could be because right. yes, this was a much more high risk, but high reward sort of deal structure. But it's because I, I knew when I'm talking to him, I know what elements to look for in order to know which of the seven or so deal structures I want to <laughs> present him with. Yeah. When it's also having the eyes to see the opportunities that because of your background, your experience, your understanding, you're like, I know exactly what I can do with this. And these guys have no idea. So rather than try to sell them on this idea that they have to then pay for and go, it's like, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just go. Yeah. I, I was fully confident that after seeing the numbers of um, engagement and stuff that this, that his business partner 
would get whenever you'd put up mm -hmm. something on Instagram or whatnot, I was confident we could hit those numbers. So I was willing to take that risk Yeah, and it, it absolutely paid off, but you know, it's just part of knowing how to present the client with a structure that makes the most sense to them and the most right. sense to you. Right. Right. What, um, boy, you know, you, you've actually given us a lot of really good insights here um, in the conversation we've just had. I mean, honestly, like Thank there's you. a lot no, of good really. things. Yeah, no, really. Yeah, no, really. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, everything from, you know, how you even just like evaluating like the threshold of honesty and transparency um, to, you know, repositioning who you are and how you present yourself. That is like, there is, I'm not a commodity. I'm completely separate than everybody else, right? I'm, everybody else is a copywriter. I'm a persuasion engineer. Well, well, thank you. And, and part of it is, you know, as a copywriter, you are, you learn from day one that the most important thing that you can do is create a really strong USP, mm -hmm. something very unique right. that only that product or service offers. That is the secret to, for the customer to get what they want in life, to fix yes. their biggest pain point and to lead the life that they want. And in any industry, you're going to have one or two 800 pound gorillas that dominate because their yeah. USP is that rock solid and everyone else is just taking up shelf on the space. Um, you know, probably the best of all time, honestly, is Viagra. If your erection lasts more than four hours and seek uh, medical attention, that's not a medical warning. I mean, technically it is because yes, if that were to ever happen to a guy, they should go to the hospital, but that's a USP. <laughs> That's no, I agree. I had a four hour, five hour conversation about this back in uh, January of last year, this exact conversation. We had clients <laughs> that were in the men's health space and uh, we had this conversation and it seems like it's a warning, but it literally for someone who is having that issue, it's a, I need to get this right this second. Yep. If that's the problem people are having when they take it. Oh yeah. The other one, I mean, uh, Here's a real famous one. It's not delivery. It's DiGiorno. Yeah. In my opinion, it's not delivery. It's disgusting because, but it, it gives you the idea in your head that it's- Well, you live in New York, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not going to mess with New York pizza with some frozen stuff from the supermarket. But um, no, it, it plants the idea in the person's head that it, it is so good. It tastes like delivery. That's yeah. not what they're saying at all. They're just saying it's not delivery, <laughs> but it's such a strong USP that they've used that slogan for 20 some odd years, maybe even longer. Right. So if that's the goal of you as a marketer, do that for your client. Well, the very first thing you have before you're ever selling their product or service, you have to sell yourself. Yep. So if you don't have a strong USP for yourself, you're another, you're just another item taking up shelf space. Yeah. 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 And so that's where the idea behind rebranding myself as a persuasion engineer came from. I have a stronger USP than my competitor and I know I can win. When, mm -hmm. if I'm competing with them for, to sign with the client. Yeah. Well, and even like, even talking about that, like, you know, not having a portfolio, but having a client success dossier, it's like, here's the thing. Everybody is presenting their work. Everybody else is presenting their work, but you're like, I'm not going to present my work. I'm going to present my results. Yeah. Here's my results. And then you want to see it work fine, but who cares about the, the work? You want to see the results because that's exactly. what people are buying effectively in right. everything. Right. They're not and buying so supplements, you know, cause they want to supplement. They're buying weight loss or they're buying, you know, pain point, whatever it is, like that's what they're buying. Yeah. hundred percent. I honestly but, thought that we were going to talk about like 
Uh, I really thought we were going to talk about, well, when I structure an offer, I do this, I do that. But I love that this is a completely different conversation that's unfolded in a way that I definitely didn't expect. But I mean, if you're any type, and this doesn't just go for copywriters, right? Like this doesn't go for that, you know, people who are in marketing, this goes for consultants of every uh, aspect in particularly in, in the direct response space, but anywhere. If you're doing, you know, tech support uh, or or development for people, I mean, you can take the same idea. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. The same exact ideas and set yourself so apart. I, I, I love that. I also like not having a portfolio. Um, do you get, and I'm sure that you do, but when you are working with the client and you're doing, what, what did you call it? Your customer success profile or those dossier. Or, yeah. The client success dossier client success dossier when you do that do you go to the client and show it to them and like get sign off on that like what do you do um i mean i know usually when i'm working with a client i i've built such a relationship with them that we mm-hmm. become friends by the end yeah. and i know mm-hmm. it'll be cool um so i haven't really it's never really come up but if <laughs> you know at any point somebody were to say hey josh do you mind if i take a look at that before you start saying yeah no problem yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And because uh, they've seen it, so they all know they're going to end up there, right? Yeah. 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 And you know, and I'll tell them when we start working together, like, hey, if I'm able to to get you the kind of success you're looking for, the kind of numbers you're looking for, do you mind if I add you to my dossier? And honestly, if this person already has these big dreams of Josh is going to make us a million dollars above, they're not going to say no to that. Right. 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 Um, I'd like to get into how you vet clients in a different way. Cause I know you kind of talked sure. about like the honesty, integrity, but, um, or transparency, but, um, you know, how, how much does the uniqueness of the product itself play into your selection of who you're going to spend your time and energy on helping build their business? You know, it doesn't really have to be that unique of a product or is it just that you like the company, you like the people, you like how they're doing stuff. Like what else, what other factors do you look for that helps you choose essentially winners in your mind? Sure. So I don't like to work with clients that don't have traffic, that don't have budgets, um, that are kind of desperate almost. Uh, It is impossible. Well, not impossible. It is really difficult to be able to grow them how I would like to. Um, So I try to stay away with that because the best offer, the best copywriting in the world isn't going to do anything if they don't have any clicks. They can't buy traffic and they don't have uh, somebody on their team that knows what they're doing. So that right away is number one and paramount. Two, I want to see um, what is their level of market awareness uh, for the or the audience's level of market awareness. And you know, Eugene Schwartz has in Breakthrough Advertising. There's five different levels. Of a one being this, the market has never heard of this. They don't even they're not even aware that this problem exists. They need tons of demonstrations. And since you did infomercials, you understand the power of a live de- demonstration. I mean, how many people bought, went out and bought a Brita water filter because there's that CGI animation of the five different stages of the filter taking out all the impurities, you know? But if you work at the water sanitation plant for the city, you, you, you're so much more of an expert. You're probably closer to level four or five of that market awareness that you're not, you don't care about that little animation. You need to know that the numbers makes you're looking at brass tacks. So I want to look at the uh, sophistication of the market for sure. And that will really help determine 
if this product is really in line with who they think that their demographic is or who they want mm. their demographic to be. Uh, a lot of times business owners are wrong. So I'll ask them to take their email list of customers and their list of leads separately and go to a site called towerdata.com where you can upload your list. And for a few dollars, it will cross-reference that email address with every other time they've used that email address pretty much anywhere, magazine subscriptions, other websites, other everything. And then it gives you a detailed uh, report of their whole, of their total demographics. And I would say probably about 85% of clients are off base. They're not selling to who they think they are. So right away, this now allows me to know, okay, who are we actually selling to? Mm-hmm. Because I want to be able to increase your numbers. Um, uh, I'm also going to be looking at, is there a really easy USP that or claim that we can make that nobody else's? If I can spot something in two minutes and that the client didn't even think of awesome and yeah. most of the time you know you're so connected to your business that you can't see the force of the trees maybe being an outside consultant with no emotional attachment at all i can start to spot some usps that the business owner just never will and right. that's you know that's totally normal if i don't spot something right away i need them to walk me through the whole process from top to bottom mm-hmm. um i saw an article I think last year about this uh, t-shirt company that was walking their marketer through the steps. And they said, we don't do anything special. We're not unique. We're just another t-shirt printing company. And they're going down the line and not really being that detailed. And the marketer kept saying, no, I need, don't skip anything, no matter how minor it seems, I need the full picture. And they said, okay, well, after the t-shirt is printed and this and this, after the chemicals have set in, you know, by state uh, or by uh, legal requirements, safety requirement, we have to wash it in these three kinds of washing machines before we can package it up to be sold. And the, and the marketer right away said, wait, so this is triple machined wash before you sent it out? said, yeah, but that's standard. He goes, yeah, but no customer knows that. Nobody's heard that. And no other t-shirt company has made that claim yet. So we can. And that company went on to do huge numbers as a result. It's like uh, Budweiser. They, their big claim was that their beer is Beachwood aged. Well, so is almost every other beer, but because they were the first to make that claim, that gets tagged to them. Right. So I'm looking um, for how can I make a very unique promise or claim or USP um, that nobody else is doing that just makes this offer stand out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is impossible to find one. If you're in a really oversaturated market, uh, that that can get very difficult. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the episode of Mad Men where they're talking about cigarettes, selling cigarettes, and everybody else is selling, you know, the medical warning about it. And they're like, ours are toasted, right? Like our, yeah. our tobacco is toasted. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. I remember that episode and the uh, the owner of the cigarette companies, or I think it was Lucky Strike, even they said, yeah. so is everybody else's. And they said, <laughs> but who knows that? Exactly. So that's, um, you know, and I guess to speak to your point, right? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be that unique of a thing, but if there's something that you can pull out that you're like, whoa, here's this completely unique angle that nobody else is even touching on. Yes, everybody's doing it, but nobody's touching on it. Um, right. And it gives you that opportunity to talk about something in a unique way and, and you know, highlight it. Um, yeah, uh, so- last year I, I was working with a client um, who manufactures uh, wine mm-hmm. and he's, 
telling me how it's exactly the same as every other wine out there. There is nothing unique, blah, blah, blah. And I just had them walk me through the process. And then I uh, was able to describe the smell and the grape and the taste and, and uh, the give a full sensory sort of profile mm-hmm. to what you're going to experience when you have this wine that it made it really stand out, even though this is exactly the same as any other uh, Cabernet. I love that. Uh, um, and I know we talked a little bit, I feel like there's some other topics that we were talking about that we wanted to maybe touch on if we could, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, you know, while we have Josh here, what else we can pull out? Cause I mean, this is, dude, I've got like my notes all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Um, so 2021, tell us what's um, what's coming up for Josh Rosenberg. I know in the past you've done some coaching, you've done some feedback sessions, um, you've had your own offers. Tell us what you're going to be doing this coming year. Yeah, so I love doing copy critique sessions where copywriter will come to me with a sales letter that they're ready to send out and then I get to sit on the phone with them for an hour or so and rip it to shreds. And I love, I mean, I'm helping them build it back up and rewrite it better than it it ever was. But, you know, it's always kind of fun for me to watch somebody come in with their chest puffed out thinking that there's, I won't find any fault in it. And then I get them deflated. Um, But I've actually um, been doing coaching where I'm uh, working with copywriters, either one-on-one or in a small group, and we're spending um, six sessions going over step-by-step my exact process I use to get five to seven figure clients, almost like clockwork. Um, and so we, we go over everything from, you know, not just creating your dossier and how to present yourself, creating your own USP differently, how to actually reach out to people who have never heard of you and markets that you have no name in and, within one message, have them wanting to get on the phone with you, Mm. how to no longer have sales calls anymore. Um, We rephrase, we reposition how that call goes. So by the end, they are ready to pay you before you even sign up with them, you know, uh, creating, they're paying you essentially to write a proposal for how much they're going to have to pay you. (laughs) And they're happy to pay you for that. And then how to uh, evaluate exactly what kind of deal structure is going to be the best option for this mm-hmm. particular client, how to present them with it and how to get them to say yes, almost a hundred percent of the time. Um, so I've, uh, um, I've been doing a lot more of that training and the results have been amazing. Everyone that's uh, been going through it, 100% of people have signed large contracts with brand new clients while that training's still going on. Um, so I, I it must be like really rewarding and satisfying, right? Like as you're going oh, through yeah, that with those great. guys. So yeah, awesome. it's great. Especially, you know, seeing somebody that's doing $10,000 a month and actually one kid was ready to kid. He's, he's an adult, but uh, <laughs> one guy was ready to sign a deal with a client for about $4,500. And I had him restructure the, the deal and reposition it a little bit. Uh, and it's about to pay him $25,000 for the exact same work. So um you know, that I, I'm really enjoying doing that training. I'm having a lot of fun with it. So I'm going to be focusing on doing that uh, for for 2021 a little bit more. Um, and if somebody wants to find out about that and learn, get a full breakdown from top to bottom of how 
the training works. If you go to toptierclients.com, uh, there's about a uh, 12 minute video or so that walks you through everything. And if it sounds good and it's something that you think would help your business, there's a little application form and we schedule time to talk and see if it is, if it works for you. That's fantastic, man. I also um, got um, a Facebook group called the copywriters clubhouse where every day I am posting up uh, new job leads for people. Um, so I'm trying to get you work right away. And then uh, a few times a week, I'm trying to throw some insights and some knowledge and some uh, tricks and tactics and stuff in there to try and help people out more with uh, growing their own businesses. Uh, do you, when you put together planning, do you put together planning for the year? Do you put together like, you know, longer term vision direction for where you hope to be in like 10 years or five years? I don't even have years. a plan for the week. <laughs> I am the, so disorganized when it comes to stuff like that. <laughs> so you're just I like, let's see what of, opportunities lay, lay themselves in front of us right now. Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, you always hear <laughs> about um, people always talking about like keeping your eye open for new opportunities, but there's, you don't really actually know what that means or how to do it. Mm. Well, once you sort of figure out a couple of these opportunities, like I did when I did that first live workshop and I created a, a fake publishing company or PR company website and a fake name. Like once you start to see certain opportunities, then they start to pop up everywhere and you realize yeah. that they're all right out in front of you. So I've kind of just been letting the wind take me and uh, just seeing what, what, what's available, what looks fun, you know, right mm -hmm. now. Cause the last thing I want to do is work that's boring and tedious and monotonous. That's soul sucking that uh, um, I regret having done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so like more, yeah, more like, uh, you know, kind of mm -hmm. seeing what opportunities are laying in front of you and then walking towards whatever you find most interesting at that time as it yeah. comes up. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you'll be able to, um, kind of make something from nothing where mm -hmm. nobody else saw something come up and, you know, not just make money, but also have a better quality of life and have fun while you're doing it and, you know, just be able to enjoy every day. So, uh, yeah. The only things I really got planned for this year is um, I want to hire a uh, private chef. As as much as I love cooking, it takes me a long time. You know, it, I'm not really the fastest at chopping up my onions <laughs> and stuff. But if I could have somebody come over, make me a lunch that will not make me crash in the afternoon, because nothing slows you down more than some really heavy carbo fueled lunch where you just need a, a nap in the middle of the day. Uh, prepare that and then prepare a delicious dinner that all I have to do is heat it up. I think that'll save a couple hours of my day and I'll be eating healthier. So that's just going to help. Just and get married. That's what I did. <laughs> we, Travis and I were actually talking about this when we were waiting for you to come on. And I have this amazing spouse that literally, we were just talking about this, literally handles my entire life for me. And he brings me food and coffee and drinks like all day long, just so I can work. It's just oh, I don't just know. Private chef is a lot cheaper than alimony payments. <laughs> well, you don't you don't get divorced, but it probably is cheaper than the upkeep of another human. I will I will say yeah. that. <laughs> so I mean, that's honestly really the only plan that I have for this year. That's fun though. That's a good plan, man. It's something that's kind of fun and and adds an improvement to your satisfaction and enjoying it and giving you time back that you want to have. So yeah, absolutely. So, so fun. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up towards the, the end of our, our of uh, an hour here or so. And 
uh, Josh, I mean, this is, I honestly, I've had a lot of fun with this. I really appreciate the insights that you've been able to share with us and our audience. Um, I personally got a lot of takeaways. I'm like, Ooh, I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I had a lot of fun uh, getting to come on here and talk. Yeah. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll put the links um, in the description uh, to top tier clients.com for you. Um, and, you know, looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better. I'm going to jump on Facebook, take a look at your Facebook group as well. I just, um, I just applied to join. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, yeah, for anyone that wants to join, uh, there's a couple of questions, just real basic questions. Um, Emma, I can, I'll, I'll have you out automatically, but my uh, virtual I assistant- I answered them. I answered oh, them. They okay. were so, they were pretty simple. I mean, I answered them actually while I was speaking, I was answering them, so. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, my VA just declines anyone who doesn't answer them, so. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you and I really in the last few years have only known each other through, you know, the occasional chat on Facebook. And if anyone saw my personal profile, 99% of everything I post is just stupid, silly stuff that makes me giggle. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's you, what we get You along. and Chris, you and Krista Dodd, like, uh, John McCann, Krista Dodd and you just post the funniest, like the most random <laughs> just these crazy posts about cobra kai politics like whatever it's just and it's hysterical it's like they're oh, asking you. serious questions but they're not serious at all like it's just you'll have to add them travis so oh, yeah. you're gonna no, have I'm, 500 I'm facebook requests i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah you know it's funny i've got um a bunch of colleagues who, who like to be a lot more professional and stuff and they said you know you should i should try it because it could it'll only help my business and i was like Nah. I, I just don't want to. I, I don't want to do anything more in my life that I just that's don't want my, to do. Yeah, that's what my business page is for. Like, if you look at that, and that's all you know about me, and you don't understand that I have an actual professional strategic side to me, okay, cool. Then hopefully I'll pleasantly surprise you one day. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I just like to go in and have fun at this point. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Cool. All right. Well, Josh, thanks again, man. Um, I'm looking yeah, forward to seeing you at a so conference much. at some time when everything opens back up or at least on, yeah. online. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining cool. us. All right. Thank we'll catch you, you next me. time. Take care. <laughs> bye bye.